traveling, people enjoying the football season. Man, didn't it feel good when you walked outside today? For those of you who are like, man, I'm ready for the summer to be over and I just want to feel that cool breeze in my face. And finally, this morning, did that not feel awesome? So I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that the word of the Lord speaks to you today right where you are. This is one of those messages that everybody can relate to. It's one of those messages where you're like, man, I remember when I was right there. Or you'll say, oh man, he is describing exactly where I am right now. Or it may be that you're like, you know what, Uh, I know somebody right now who their life is hard. They know things are going downhill And they don't know what to do or they feel paralyzed or they feel trapped or they're at the end of their rope and they're wanting to give up. We get prayer requests all all the time. Prayer requests of celebrations and prayer requests of difficult times. Prayer requests that involve health issues, relationship issues, financial issues, just all the things of life. The hardest ones are where people are desperate, where they know... These things are going on in my life, some of them because of my own action, oftentimes because of no fault of my own, but, but I'm suffering because of the actions of somebody else. But life is difficult, and I don't know what to do. And today's message, Jonah finds himself facing his own death, and what was, what was meant to be a vehicle to death turned into a vehicle of rescue. And out of that moment, something unbelievable happens. We ended last week at the end of chapter 1 with this verse of Scripture. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And we said, boy, if the story ended there, what a sad story. Because as we've been following Jonah, God came to Jonah at the very beginning and he said, Hey, Jonah, I want to do something with you. Let's go do something wild. And there's some people who are not living right, a whole city that is negatively affected. They're, they're, they're doing evil. The way they treat their kids are evil. And, and, and they're, they're sacrificing their children. And they think that it's in the name of right and even their God. And we're going to go and we're going to change that city. And Jonah's like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't like them. I don't, I don't want to go. Now, Jonah has two options. He can just stay right where he is. God, I'm a servant of yours. I'm a prophet. I kind of like where I am. Church is good. Salary is good. Friends are good. I'm fine right where I am. I don't want to go with you, you know, to Nineveh. Maybe I'll pray about it for a while, but right now I'm just comfortable right where I am. Is that what Jonah does? Nope. Jonah goes in the opposite direction. It's not only, not only, God, do I not want to partner with you, but I'm sick of just being here. And from now on, I'm going to run in the opposite direction of you. I want to get as far away from you as I can get. Ever known anyone who got so mad at God or so mad at life or just they decided, I don't care, I don't care. I'm just going to run. I'm going to go do what I want to do. 
And you see, man, they are running headlong into hell. I'm not even talking about fiery, fire and brimstone kind of hell. I'm just meaning they're running into a life of hell. And there's and nobody and they won't listen to anybody. I can't stop them. I'm like, please don't stop. And they won't even take my phone calls anymore. It's Jonah. So Jonah's running in the opposite direction. Okay, so what I need you to do is, is pause in the story right here just for a second before we open up chapter 2. As we begin to open up chapter 2, what do you believe the writer of the story wants us to see? I mean, if I'm just, if you handed me a Bible and I don't know really anything about God, but I'm searching and I'm looking and I'm listening and I get the Bible and at first I think it's just one book, one story, but it's not. It's a collection of 66 books and they're, they're all brought together to tell one big story. And I'm reading what this guy wrote, what this guy wrote, what this person wrote, and that person wrote. And I'm trying to piece it all together. And I get to Jonah. And I read Jonah chapter 1. And I'm like, by that time I get to Jonah, I've seen this story over and over and over. I've seen God's people get close, fall away, get close, fall away, get close, fall away. And now I pick up the book of Jonah. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, here we go again. This guy is crazy. Can he not see what's going on? What does the writer of the book of Jonah want us to see? Well, you know, early on, in fact, our first lesson, you can go online and listen to the lesson or get our app if you want to. But week one, we said that the book of Jonah, for whatever reason, has almost become like a litmus test to people who don't want to believe in God or believe the Bible is the inspired word of God. And they want to use it to say, well, I don't believe that story. I don't think that really happened. And then it gets to be a scientific thing. Do you think that someone can actually survive in the belly of a big fish? Was it a whale or was it a big fish? Do you think that that's even possible? I don't know if that's possible. And they want to discount the whole story because of the fish. And what we said is, this is not a story about a fish. And you're going to read about the fish today. It's in three verses of scripture. I just read you one. Right? Only in three verses is there a fish, but it is a, a part of the story. And so people are like, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in that or not. And then they want to discount the whole thing of God. And this is what I'm saying. I don't care. Now, it, it, it's not about the fish. Open your eyes to, some, to a, a bigger truth about life. And don't miss it because you're wondering if, the, if it's true about Jonah and was he in the belly of a big fish. Now, out of that, some people are wondering, okay, well, Rick, do you believe it's a true story or not? What do you think about Jonah? Do you think it really happened? I have no reason to doubt it. I mean, if you're just asking me, I believe every word of the Bible is inspired by God. I believe, I believe it all, right? And I, and, and I know the truth. I know what God's trying to teach I love the language of it because it's written like it's a parable. It's written like it's metaphors. It's written like it's a story meant to show you something bigger. I love the language of it, much like I love Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon is written the exact same way. It's a love story between two people. But it's written to show you and demonstrate before you how much God relentlessly loves you and pursues you unconditionally. And what is it like for two people to come together in real love. And how, what does that look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? And how can it last forever? I love all the poetic 
Ecclesiastes written somewhat different, but similar, right? And so now you get to Jonah. So I don't want you to get caught up in, is it a metaphor? Is it a parable? Is it, you know, what, what is, just let's look at the bigger picture of what we're talking about. We do have to ask, what is the writer trying to get us to see? So what, what I want to do is just pause before I jump into, the, into this beautiful Hebrew prayer written in the tight confines of a big fish. And I want to see the bigger picture. In several of the prophets, there was this, this picture, this image that God kept trying to give to his people. That other prophets kept trying to give to the people of God. So that they could see the condition, the nature of where they were, the condition they were in, and what was going on. And so I just want to pause and, and show you that. Now here is a, uh, just a visual of it. This was the cycle of Israel and, you know, they, they got to where, hey, we want a king. All the other nations have a king. We want a king. God's like, you don't want a king. We want a king. You don't want a king. We're going to take a king. God says, okay, but you're not going to like it. I mean, right now you think it's going to be good because, it, hey, we got ourselves a king. Look how bad we are. And at the end, you're going to see how bad you are because it's not going to be good. So they took a king. And the king goes in the direction, and as the king goes, the nation goes. And most of the kings, if you were to read them, both in Israel and Judah, were not good kings. As soon as they got power, as soon as they got money, they turned away from God. And so God would raise up these prophets. And this prophet would come in, and he'd give a warning. Turn or burn, repent or perish. They'd hold up these big signs on street corners. Repent or perish, repent or perish. And people would drive by them and go, that crazy lunatic. And eventually they killed all the prophets. But a prophet would give a warning. Don't. Stop. It's not good. Don't. Stop. It's not good. Stop looking after yourself. Stop giving in. Stop buying the ads. Believing in the messages of the world. God is quietly calling out to you saying, be obedient to me or your whole nation's going to suffer. And they wouldn't listen. And the king would lead them away. And then God would withdraw his hand of protection. And as soon as he would withdraw his hand of protection and say, if that's where you want to go, then I'll let you go there. God is, after all, a perfect gentleman. He does not force himself on you or anyone. And so they would go into exile, they would go into oppression, they would become slaves, they would be abused, they would be beaten, they would be killed, and they would cry out to God. And as soon as they cried out to God, what would God do? Save them. That don't, don't let that simple fact, don't this repentance and restoration... They would cry out to God. And it's not like God looked over at them and said, I told you so. You're always doing the wrong thing. Just live in it. You asked for it. Right? Like we tend to do. <laughs> you know how when someone gets what they ask for and it's not good, you know how we tend to, oh, I told you so. I told you. Right? And we just let them. Not God. He hates it when you run away from him. He hates it when you suffer. But there's going to be some truths in today's message that really talk about that. So let me just show you. There's this image. And, all the, and, and several of the prophets use this exact same image. 
Hosea chapter 8 talks about this exact same thing. And here goes the cycle. Here's Hosea 8. Put the trumpet to your lips. An eagle is over the house of the Lord. There's protection over the house of the Lord. Watching out over the house of the Lord. Because the people have broken my covenant and rebelled against my law. Now Israel cries out to me, our God, we acknowledge you. Okay, pause right there. All the people are going to church. We love you. We love you. We acknowledge you. But they're not living during the week like they believe it. They come to church and they act all spiritual. And they leave and cuss each other out before they even get to Cervantes. Where do you want to go to eat? Where do you want to go? We always have to go where you want to eat. You're like, did we not just walk out of church? Did we not just go praise the Lord, praise the Lord, and now you're... And God's like, it's just, there's, a, there's been this banner over you, this protection. God's been looking out over you. But he can tell you're being rebellious. You're not living the way he's called you to live. Even though the words of your mouth are, I'm a Christian, I go to church, I belong to First City, I belong to everything's going great. So, Israel has rejected what is good. An enemy will pursue him. They set up kings without my consent. They chose princes without my approval. With their silver and gold, they made idols for themselves to their own destruction. They went in the opposite direction. They didn't stay close to God. They decided to change. You know what? This past week, I went up to Montgomery, Alabama. I had to go up there for a day. And so it was Thursday. And I went up. And on my way, on my way back, I was getting some gas. And so I filled up with gas and went inside Used restroom, that's too much information. Anyway, so as I'm coming out, and uh, I'm walking in between the, the aisles, you know, of food. And so I'm not tall. I'm, I'm you know, if I were, they, they would have seen me. But I'm, so I'm walking, no one can see me. And the two ladies behind the two different cash registers are talking with each other. And boy, they're upset and they're mad. And this one girl, she just goes to cussing. Whoo! And it wasn't just cussing. She was filthy. I mean, she was nasty in what she was saying and the words coming out of her mouth. And here I came and I got to the front and I just turned the corner. And she saw me and she went, oh, I'm so sorry. I hope you're not a preacher. I just gave her a business card. (laughs) Love you. See you at church. (laughs) I thought, as I just got in my truck, (laughs) is that how we live? As long as I'm in front of the preacher... I'm going to build my best behavior. But when I get home. You know what I mean? So do you think a lot of people live like that? Do you think a lot of people are like, as long as I have to look good and be good and act good, I can go to church and I can say, hey, we acknowledge you, Lord. We acknowledge you. Hey, I belong to you. Hey, I'm, I'm pulling tight to the Lord. I'm blessed, brother. You know, all... And then as soon as we know no one else is watching, do we live? You don't think anybody really does that in real life, do you? Live differently during the week than they act with their church? You don't. No. 
But apparently there was a time when people... So there was this image. By the time you get to verse 8, look at this image that Hosea is trying to give to the people. Israel is swallowed up. Okay? You're, you're swallowed up. And now you are among the nations like something no one wants. You know what, do you know what that, I mean, some of us know what that feels like. And some of us are, some people are so cruel, you know, when they break up. Or the insults that you can hurl at somebody because we want them to feel like you're somebody that nobody would want. Ooh. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't feel right, right? I mean, it's just, but Israel is swallowed up. And I want you to begin to see this image about what Jonah is all about. Although they have sold themselves among the nations, I will gather them together. They will begin to waste away under the oppression of the mighty king. Okay, here they go. God wanted to protect them. And, and yet they started to disobey. And he said, don't. Stop. Don't. And they're like, well, we acknowledge God. We acknowledge God. Kept living however they wanted to live. Turned their back on God. Ran in the opposite direction like Jonah did. Until eventually they were, had to be taken over. And it was, it, was, it was a waste. Okay, let me show you another image out of Jeremiah. So Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 51, he says it this way. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has devoured us. So Israel was taken in captivity, in Babylonian captivity, and taken away as slaves in, in two different droves, actually almost three, until they were also taken over by the Assyrians. But Babylon has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion and has made us an empty jar like a serpent. Some of your Bibles will say sea serpent. In the Hebrew, it's more like, like the big creature of the sea. He has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies and then has spewed us out. Do you see it? Do you see Jonah in just that one verse? See, the, it, it, was, it, was an, it was a known image. And Israel had heard this over and over and over and over. And they kept saying, you're being swallowed up. God, you're going to be devoured. And, 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 a, and then in this case, it's like a sea serpent. Now, everybody knows that it's a metaphor. Everybody knows that it's only meant to be an image of the reality of what really is going on in your life. But do you feel like you're, you're being swallowed up? By something that is not good and it's devouring you and it's, and, and it's taking, robbing you of your life. Until it's finally tired of you and hopefully, if you're lucky, it will spew you up. And you can make a different decision. One of the psalmists in Psalm chapter 124 says something identical this way. If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us. They would have swallowed us alive where their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. So there's this image, and it's a consistent image through the prophets. And so by the time somebody gets to the book of Jonah, they know what they're reading. They know they're reading something in the life of Jonah that resembles this whole cycle of why is it that God calls us to partner with him 
And yet, we willingly go in the opposite direction. And I know every one of us in here can probably relate to what that looks like and feels like. Some of us by our own sin, by the things that we did to ourselves. Others because of what somebody else did and we just suffered the consequences of those poor decisions. And so you have people like Daniel. Daniel was a godly man, holy man. He also was one of the prophets. And he didn't do anything wrong and yet people conspired against him. And they end up throwing him in a lion's den, right? Wanting his life to be devoured. And he's there, not of his own doing, but because of the evil doings of other people. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves thrown into a fire that was meant to consume their life. And it was meant to be their vehicle of death. Not anything on their own. They stood for what was right. And the people around them were doing what was wrong. And threw them into the fire. But God saved them. Joseph. He didn't do what was being accused of from Potiphar's wife. He stood for what was right and was still thrown in jail. And in all of these cases you have to begin to ask. Even when they did what was right. And they still went and sunk and and had to suffer something. What was God's role in it? Did he let it happen? Did he rescue? Did, what did he do? And, and so what are we meant to see when we read all of this? This prayer that we're going to read in Jonah chapter 2 is about that dark place where you find yourself when things have gone wrong, either by your own doing or someone else's. And what does God do? What do we do? When we get to rock bottom. Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to his God. So now Jonah finds himself. That's the second verse in this passage where there's a fish in the verse. And this vehicle of death all of a sudden turns and cramped inside this big fish, this, this whole image, Jonah cries out. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I can't read Jonah chapter 2 fast. It's, it's, meant to be, it's meant to be read and absorbed. Read, and in this verse, he's really just saying, man, I have made a mess of my life. I can't believe all the things I did to destroy me and all the people that I love. Everybody lost everything. And I'm at the end. And I can't believe that God is still with me. I don't deserve it. 
I couldn't earn it. Still you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. You just sang it. Jonah's like, look at me. Look at where I am. It's the prodigal son starving in a pig pen. It's a naked woman at the feet of Jesus with people and stones in their hands. It's Peter after he denied Jesus. It's you and me exposed for who we really are. And the truth is, you answered me. You listened to my cry. It's one of those times where you're like, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve God to listen to me right now. I deserve everything that is not good. And then he makes this unbelievable comment in verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea. And the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Now in chapter 1, who threw him into the sea? The sailors. But in chapter 2, who does he say threw him into the sea? Do you believe that? Do you believe God did it? Is it part of your theology that you believe that if you're doing wrong and headed in the wrong direction, God will create your rock bottom? I mean, there are people who get mad at that. Why would God do this? Why would he allow? I can't believe it. I could never serve a God that. Does God allow it? Yes or no? Does he create it? Be careful. Jonah's saying he does. You hurled me. You threw me into the water. You created this storm. You created the raging sea. Everybody lost everything. I knew I messed up, but you did it. And it was not until you hurled me into the sea that you made sure that everybody else was okay. And it's almost like he's saying, and you also made sure I was okay. Things were swirling around me. Waves were breaking over me. I knew I was headed to my death. Now, that might make you mad. I'm not trying to make you mad. But I am trying to tell you, the theological truth is, God will create your rock bottom if that's what it takes to save you. You need to listen. It's the truth. And you might get mad at God, but he doesn't care. (laughs) He's trying to save you. 
And if that's what it takes to save you, he will expose you. He will create your rock bottom. Not to destroy you. You might think he's trying to destroy you. But I have a whole story called Jonah that's trying to show you. He's trying to save you. If you'll just let him. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. I tried to leave you. God, I tried. I said to myself, I don't want to be around you anymore. I want to get as far away from you as I can. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to hear your voice. I don't want you running after me. I'm mad at you. I don't believe in you. I tried to run and look where it got me. I'm going to look again toward his holy temple. It, I see where it's gotten me, and I don't like it. And I want to come home. I want to come home. Verses 5 and 6. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. My favorite line. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Here's his turning point. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. It didn't feel good. It didn't sound good. It didn't smell good. It's wrapped around my head. It's stuck between my teeth. I feel I'm cramped. I can't. And I know I'm going down, down. Down to the deep. I sank down. I got to the end. I hit bottom. And I thought I was going to die. But you brought me up. I found you in my hardest moment. In my biggest pain. At my most broken part of life. You were there. And now I realize... You're not trying to destroy me. You've been trying to rescue me. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. This is, it's repentance and restoration. I was, God went down, 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 but you rescued me. Now I want to go up, up. I want to raise, uh, raise my prayer to you. I want to be lifted up to you. I, God will meet you right where you are. He will meet you in your brokenness. He will meet you in your pain. He will meet you at your rock bottom. But that's not the end of the story. He wants to raise you up. And, and he's saying, Jonah is saying, I want, I want to be where you are. I don't want you to be in here, God. I don't want to be here. I want to come to you. I want to be where you are. And then it's almost like he remembers all his friends, all those other people all around him. Look at what he says in verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's where I was. And I know other people who are still doing the same thing. And they're turning away from your love, not your anger, Not you trying to destroy them. They're turning away from you trying to save them. But not me anymore. That's not me anymore. I don't want that kind of life. I I want to turn to you. 
And then I love verse 9. But with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. And I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. I, God, I want to turn around. I want my life to be different. From now on, I want to run in your direction. And I want to shout at this praise. I love what Cherish was saying earlier. There may be somebody in here, and you're the one. You're the one who walked away from God. But I'm so excited because God's running after you. And this morning, he's running after you. If that's you, if you were at your place of brokenness, if you're at your place where you've tried your hardest to run away from God, but something inside you is not letting you do it. Maybe you've been running hard in the opposite direction and thinking that that's where you would find real life or not caring if you ever found real life. And you're finally at the end and you realize, oh man, I miss being home. I miss being with God. I want to go home. I want to have peace again. I want to find life. I don't want to stay here. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on the dry land. Rescue. I don't know how the word of the Lord is on your heart today, but that's the word of the Lord. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is saying to your soul right now. Maybe as I read this, you're just remembering your story. (laughs) I was there. I was there. Yep, 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 yep. Thank you, Lord, that you spit me up on dry land gave me a life of second chance or maybe you're on the front end of it and your life is going down 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 and you know today God is trying to turn you around or maybe you have somebody in your life and you know that's where they are and God's given you this message today to share with them And you're standing on the shore so that when God spits them up on dry land, you're there to restore. That's the word of the Lord. I just want to leave it with you. So if you're going to serve communion, if you'll go ahead and go to the back. Thank you for for those of you who are serving. We're going to sing this song. It's called Closer. And the words of the song, your love has ravished my heart and taken me over. And all I want is to be with you forever. So pull me a little closer. Take me a little deeper. God, I want to know you more. Whatever God is speaking to you right now, I want you to respond to Him. Say yes. He's chasing after you. Let Him catch you. We're going to share in this communion. And as they pass these trays and you eat and drink and they'll put the cup back in and pass it on as you 
if this you, and you get to choose. And if you're at the point where you're like, I want God, I want Him inside me, then symbolize it in this meal. It may be that you just want to get out one of those response cards and just write out a prayer of confession. That you'll just write out, Lord God, this is where I am. And I'm so sorry. And I want to come home. This is your time. May God bless you. Lord God, as we sit in your word, dwell on what you have said. We want to be completely consumed by you. Swallowed over by your Holy Spirit. Not our death and our sin. You have rescued us from the depths of sin. You have freed us and we have removed sin from our life like removing a robe. And you have set us free. We entangle ourselves in the seaweed of sin. And the stench and the smell consumes us. Free us, O Lord. As we let your word sit on our heart. Rescue us in this moment and set us free. Thank you for the abundant mercy provided by your son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.